You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Thank you, Sophie, and good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you uh, as we look at this great passage at the second in our vision series, looking at the theme of training. Do keep your Bibles open because we're going to be working through uh, that passage. And uh, before we dive in, why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you are the God who speaks. And you are the God who has things to apply to us, challenges to give us, encouragements to share with our heart. And we really pray that as we uh, look at these words that we would, with excitement and trepidation, come before you knowing that you will speak to us, whatever our circumstances, whoever we are, wherever we're from. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit at work amongst us, none of us would leave this place unchanged. Amen. Well, let me begin by asking you a a very personal question. It's a very personal question, and it's this. Where are you going in life? Where are you going in life? I mean, when you you consider the moment when you are old and you want to look back at your life and you want to think through uh, what you've experienced and and the impact that you will have made over your years, what is it that you would like to see? Many of us have been told all our lives that you can be anything that you want to be. We've been told that you can make a difference. And yet most of us, most of us, the gap has never felt bigger than between what we believe to be our potential and the impact that we've actually made in life. In fact, I guess where we were once as children encouraged to make a positive difference in the world, you know, be the next um, Greta Thunberg or be the next Marcus Rashford, for most of us, we've settled. We've settled for climbing the next rung on the career ladder. Or we've settled for doing well at the next exam. Or we've settled for simply just surviving as a parent. 
For many of us, our vision for life used to be like this, and now it's been shrunken down, reduced to, you just got to look after yourself and your own. That is, I think, until last week, when our late Queen, Her Majesty Elizabeth II, died. And since then, our news feeds have all been full of words of remembrance and condolences, all about the Queen's selfless attitude to service of our nation. Have you noticed that? There's a quote that's been everywhere over the last seven days. It's something that she said when she first became Queen, and this is the quote. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it would be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. Now, of course, now we might be tempted to say, well, it's very easy to be so sacrificial when you come with all the privileges of royalty. But of course, we... We live at a time, don't we, when a number of royals have stepped away from public service because of the immense pressure and because of the huge burden it is. And therefore, we appreciate all the more those who stayed, those who endured, those who kept going. As I'm sure we'll see in the funeral tomorrow, the legacy of Her Majesty will be of the model of a life lived in the service of others. So let me ask that question again. What impact do you want your life to have? Now, before you answer that, I think the Bible has something to say. And this letter that we've just had read by Sophie of to Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to a young Christian leader called Timothy who was living in the very cosmopolitan city of Ephesus. And Paul's big message to Timothy is that you have been, Timothy, given the most precious message that anyone could ever be entrusted with. That is, it is a message of how someone can truly know the God of the universe and can live a life of love and light that will transform every angle, corner, and crevice of that life. And Paul's point to, to Timothy is, Timothy, if you have that message... If you have that life-giving cure for the darkness that our world faces, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it, Timothy? And in our passage today, just in these seven verses, Paul's first instruction to Timothy is, look, don't keep it to yourself, pass it on to others. That's the headline here. Now, at this point, Paul's not so much as saying, look, Timothy, take the cure around to all the sick people in the hospital and give it to those who are desperate in need. Rather, at this point in the letter, he's saying to Timothy, look, take the vaccine and train other people up. And then they can go and deliver it to those in desperate need. 
Paul's point to Timothy is, look, you have a wonderful message. You have the great hope of the world, but it is too big a job for you to do on your own. Train up others. And Paul, in in our passage, is very clear. Paul is saying this miracle cure of the gospel, this world-changing task to distribute it to all of those in need across our planet is so precious and is so important that, Timothy, you must be selective, you must be careful about those you invite to train to administer this gospel throughout the world. And Paul has in mind, in our passage, those who teach. It says that, doesn't it? But it's not merely talking about pastors and small group leaders. Actually, the principle in this passage is an invitation to anyone who can communicate the gospel to someone else, both formally and informally, both on a stage or in a conversation, both in a book or in a social media post. And therefore, if you are a believer here today, in the auditorium, watching online, then I think it's talking about you. So the question for us, naturally, this afternoon is, what do I need to be trained in in order to become a world changer? That's the question. What do I need to be trained in? And our first point is this, what do I need to be trained in? Well, for those of you who know me, I'm a visual learner, which means if you've ever been in a session that I've been teaching, or if you've generally ever been around me for long enough, I'm always going to pull out a flip chart or bring out some posted notes. I'm going to be getting colouring pencils and pens out and doing all of that. I love visuals. I love pictures. And I think the Apostle Paul would have been very similar to that too. I like to imagine if the Apostle Paul was here today, he'd never be far from a flip chart. He'd never be very far from doodling and scribbling and getting his ideas down in pictorial form. And that's exactly what we see in our passage. He gives Timothy three pictures, three pictures, that's what the Apostle Paul gives, of the ideal gospel carrier. Three pictures, one of a soldier, one of an athlete, one of a farmer. They're all wildly different professions, but they all emphasize three different things that are vitally important when it comes to being trained. And the first one is this. Look with me at verses three to four in your Bibles. You need to be trained to go all in. You need to be trained to go all in. Look at me at verse 3 and 4. Paul describes the relationship uh, between the new recruit and the commanding officer who said, I want you to be on my team. That's what he's talking about in in these verses. And the recruit, when they come into the team, they immediately share the emotional world of the rest of that team. You see, when they win, the recruit shares in the joy of the victory. When they lose, the recruit shares in the sadness and the pain and the disappointment. Think about it like this. The the most unacceptable, the most unacceptable attitude of any team is for a, a fellow player to say to their teammates, look, I don't really care what you're going through. 
I don't care whether we win or lose. That's up to you. That's your pain. That's your hurt. I'm doing my own thing. That would be unacceptable, wouldn't it, to be said on any team? Look, imagine a situation. Imagine a situation, if you will. Conjure it in your mind. Imagine Erling Haaland, who is uh, the guy who signed for Man City this summer for around about 51 million pounds, the star striker. Imagine if Haaland said, actually, I'm not going to play in the next Premier League game because there is a diary clash between that match and my balloon sculpting workshop. And actually, I love sculpting balloons, and I've got to be there. I've got to make it a priority. If that happened at Manchester City, I think people would begin to question his commitment, don't you? Well, the phrase in our Bibles where it says civilian activities, well, that means being a Christian where it's just a hobby to you. It means that it's not really your full-time identity. If you're distracted by civilian activities, it's just a hobby. Now, draw a link to how this might apply to us here at City Church. Imagine saying, look, I'll attend the church, but I won't have anything to do with the vision because I'm doing my own thing. That's what they're up to. I'm doing my thing over here. You see, pleasing the commanding officer in this particular picture is pleasing God. That's what we're talking about here. And that looks like getting involved, even when it's uncomfortable, even when they're suffering. But the Christian hobbyist, the one who's just a Christian by hobby, well, they'll say they're a Christian, they'll even tick all of the boxes on the form, but if you actually ask them, How would your life be different if you suddenly gave up your faith? The honest response of the person for whom Christianity is just a hobby is they would say, look, it wouldn't make any difference whatsoever. I wouldn't notice the change. So then, what's the application for us this afternoon? Well, it's this, I think. We need... We need training that bonds us together as a whole team. And it unites us behind a very clear vision that all of us, whether you've been here for years or whether you're here for the first day, bonds us together behind a vision that we can all collectively fight for no matter what. So that's the the first image. Come with me to the second image. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, and that is, we need to be trained to be faithful under pressure. Uh, there's a book called Talent Lab that's all about the, um, the GB Olympic team. Uh, and the, uh, the famous athlete, Jenica Ennis-Hill, she describes how the, the British team for the Rio Olympics a few years ago They brought in, into the team offices where all of the GB athletes were, they brought in the -the state-of-the-art flight simulator. Are you intrigued? A state-of-the-art flight simulator. And the idea was this. 
for any Olympic athlete, the challenge is to practice and prepare for four years. So then when you're under immense pressure and the scrutiny of the world's media is looking at you, you can perform at your best for just a few minutes or even within those four years for just a few seconds. And the British team knew that if you are under pressure, it will increase the chances of an athlete breaking the rules, that they'll cut corners or they'll lose control and there's a higher likelihood that they'll be disqualified. And the British team knew that they couldn't take that risk. And so everyone, every athlete, had to practice performing under pressure through trying, get this, to land a plane. Now, the Apostle Paul has a really similar concern for Christians in our passage. You see, the athlete, and this is what Paul's saying, the athlete cannot win if they cannot control their emotions or their behavior under immense pressure. What then is the application for us this afternoon? Well, the athlete, the athlete has to apply all of their training and all of their skill the moment the starter gun is fired. And if they miss the moment, if they miss the window, it's gone. It's over, right? Well, for us, for us, imagine, imagine you're at the hairdressers and the person doing your hair asks you, so why on earth would you become a Christian? You don't seriously believe what the Bible teaches, do you? And imagine you're in the hairdressers and, and you suddenly notice that actually everyone's gone silent because they're listening in. That's your window. That's it, right there. If you blink, you'll miss it. Will you say what you really think or will you pull your punch? What will you say? Or imagine, imagine a fellow believer comes up to you after, after church this afternoon, and, and they say, look, I think my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I really don't think anyone's listening to me. I'm thinking about quitting the faith altogether. And what if you're someone who's listening to that, and actually your life is full of disappointments as well? What are you going to say? In that window, blink and you miss it. What will you say when that person comes to you asking for help? Or imagine, imagine that you're faced with a temptation so great that every instinct in your body wants to say yes to it, but you know, you know that if you say yes, the consequences would be devastating for you and maybe even devastating for those that you love. And you've got seconds to make a decision. That's your window. What will you in that moment say to yourself? What's the application? We need training to help us live consistently with our identities as children of the living God when we are living in unexpected moments or under immense pressure. That's what we need, training like that. Well, come with me to our, our third picture. It's, it's right there at the back end of, of verse 6. 
And, and it's this, train to taste the goodness of God. Train to taste the goodness of God. It's right there in verse 6. You can hear the seriousness, can't you, of Paul's tone in this passage. He's very serious about training. But if you're anything like me, do you not find it a little bit difficult to get excited about training? You can kind of go, yeah, I can see why it's useful, but it's difficult to get excited about it. Training can be a little bit like being in the category of medicine. You know it's good for you to take, but it doesn't taste good. Well, actually, this is where our final picture in verse 6 is really, really helpful to us. Now, the theme here is farming. Um, give me a nod if you saw Jeremy Clarkson's documentary on how to be a clown with a tractor. It's not called that. Some people see that. Yeah, some people saw that. Do you know, that documentary, it actually won awards from the very farming industry because it showed people how tough it was to be a farmer and it showed why so few people want to go into that industry. Well, the Apostle Paul has his own strap line for encouraging people to be farmers and it is this. Want to feast like a king? Then be a farmer. Now, I admit, it's probably, you know, not classic when it comes to, to marketing as a catchy strap line. But in verse 6, the Apostle Paul's point is that the advantage of being a, a, a farmer, even though it's really hard work, is that you get to eat the tastiest, the, the, the freshest, the most flavorsome meals. Well, how does that relate to training, you're probably thinking? It's like this, the heart of a gospel training school isn't the classrooms where you, you learn practical skills and knowledge. It's actually the canteen where you get to feast. That's the heart of a gospel training school. In other words, the best, the best gospel training is when you get to taste the wonder of, of the life of what it means to be a believer in the living God. It's when you get to taste the truth of the renewing good news of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's when you get to experience uh, wonders about who Christ is, what he's done for us, how the resurrection fits in ways that just are refreshing, surprising, renewing to your heart and your soul, that are appealing to your intellect and your emotions together, where you're offered the gospel and you taste it as you've never tasted it before. That's great training. It's not dry. So if you are a Christian and life for you has become dry, or bland, like overcooked pasta or stale bread, then Paul's point is this, what you need is to be trained. And you need to be trained in a place that offers you the truth of Scripture like the delicacies of an all-you-can-eat buffet. That's what you need. And more than that, the great benefit that those who become trained... The great benefit that those who have experienced some form of great gospel training is that there is no taste more wonderful to the believer than take the training you've received and to actually apply it in the real world. 
There is no greater joy for the Christian than to take something that they have learnt and been able to speak Christ or live for Christ in fresh and new ways as a result. Because it just makes your taste buds of your soul hum for joy. It's like that moment when a Christian friend of yours bounces up to you at church or at one of the connect groups or equip and says, hey, I just had the most amazing conversation with a friend at work. It relates to the training that we had only last week, and I was able to put it into practice, and we had a fantastic conversation. It was wonderful. And their eyes are big, and they're full of excitement. Or that friend of yours speaks to you at church and says, actually, you know that thing that I I told you last week I was struggling with? Well, because of the training that I received, I I was able to tell myself a new story, a story of Jesus' forgiveness, his kindness, his love for me, and actually that made all the difference in the moment. And their eyes are big, and they're excited, and their heart is full. There's nothing like the joy of being trained and being able to apply it in real life. So I guess that leads us to a final question, and it's this. Where can I get trained now? If training is that good, where can I get trained now? And and if this is your first Sunday here at City Church, you're you're very welcome. You've joined us on the second of a three-week series looking at our vision. It's an opportunity to find out what's it really like to be involved here at City Church. Well, let me tell you this. Because of passages like 2 Timothy 2, we're really big on training here at City Church. We're really big on training. And the reason for that is we see ourselves as a lifeboat to the city of Manchester. We see ourselves as a community that seeks to offer the hope of the gospel to as many of the 2.8 million people who live in our city who have no idea who Jesus is and no idea that he's coming back. And as a church, we are committed to inviting people to, to joining this crew in this church so that they can invest their lives with us in making an eternal difference. Let me be clear. If you're new to City Church, it's important you know we're not a cruise ship. We're not a cruise ship as a church. We're not built for comfort, although we really do hope that you thrive whilst you're with us. We're not a perfect church in any way, shape, or form, but our training that we offer is designed to help you live for Christ with confidence at home, at work, wherever you study, at the school gate, wherever you are. Behind me is going to come up a list of all the different types of training that we offer here at City Church. It's a list of all the things that we would love you to explore whilst you're with us. And these are all things that you can sign up for and say, actually, I'd love to be a part of that. Tell me more. But let me, um, let me finish with this. Let me finish with this. The pastor, John Piper, in his uh, book, Don't Waste Your Life, he describes the definition of a wasted life. That's what we're talking about, isn't it, this afternoon? And he references um, an excerpt from a magazine called The Reader's Digest. It was written about 20 years ago, and and this is is what he, he, he references from this magazine. 
It says this, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect shells. And John Piper's comment is this, and it applies to us, I think, in our culture. He says, the American dream is to come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells. And Piper says, that, that is a tragedy. Now, I appreciate that our, um, our life goals for our future may not be collecting seashells. But, but would we be satisfied if we were to go to our creator and say, look, see my 50,000 hours I racked up on FIFA. Or, or look, see how I watched all nine seasons of Friends three times throughout my whole life. Or see... See how I got promoted to the top pay band in my profession faster than anyone else in my university cohort. Or see, did you see, God, how big my garden was? Now, look, none of those things, none of those things are bad in themselves. In fact, I think God's response, should we even do that, would be, look, good for you. I'm glad you really enjoyed it. That's wonderful. After all, it's important to say that God wants nothing back from us in return for his kind gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of being rescued, the gift of hope and life and renewal comes free, comes free. But I kind of wonder, I just kind of wonder that for those of us who have tasted the relief of permanent forgiveness, no matter what we've done, who've experienced the sorrow of seeing Jesus take my place on the cross, those of us who have been nourished by the love that he chooses to give to us daily in a world full of broken promises, I just kind of wonder whether we can stomach to live a life in response to that, which says, I have no desire to make a difference, and I have no need to be trained. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the many good gifts that you give us, the many good things that we enjoy in our life. And they are wondrous presents from you. And yet we are so sorry how easy it is that we take those good things and we make them ultimate things. When we shrink the gift of life and hope and light you've given us, and we reduce it to collecting the equivalent of seashells. Father, help us to lift our vision 
for the talent, the gift, the experience you've given us. Help us to be raise our appetite to be trained and use and steward those gifts to the best of our ability so that we might make a difference in this world that lasts for eternity. Amen.